one of the people we um, invited to the launch of the Heart of Arabia expedition, which was held at the Royal Geographical Society in London, with Princess Anne as our patron, um, was a guy called Joe Owen. And I find Joe Owen an absolute inspiration. He writes very, very well-written books about the fundamentals of leadership. Um, but he comes at it from a very different angle. And I like his writing style of short sound bites. Um, the book that guides much of my thinking on leadership is Joe's book on tribal, on tribal leadership. Um, Joe spent time with living with traditional society, living with the Maasai, living with people in Papua New Guinea, uh, spent time with the Bedouin, um, and just asked the question that a lot of people don't ask, which is why, um, why when business, modern businesses struggle to survive more than 20, 30 years, sometimes some of the biggest organisations in the world don't exist 30 years later. Um, how can it be that people survive in some of the toughest environments on the planet for thousands of years. So Joe asked the question, what can modern business learn from traditional society? Which I find absolutely fascinating, the value of apprenticeship and slow learning as opposed to fast track PowerPoint, for example. Um, but at our launch, we didn't ask Joe to talk about that. I, we, we took him into a side room at the society and, and asked him his opinion on resilience because one of his latest books is entitled Just That. And uh, with mental well-being and, and all of the issues brought about by COVID, resilience has become a, a buzzword um, once again. And my in my naive little world, I, I always think back to people like um, Philby um, and Scott, that era, um, they were around at the same time and just don't forget that Shackleton and his men returned from Antarctica just months before Philby arrived in uh, in Saudi Arabia so it was an incredible era full of amazing people uh, and and you know my thinking superficially is that well people were much more resilient in those days they were much tougher and today we're kind of a snowflake generation but actually Joe's take was um, was was very different to that uh, and his argument was that people then were um, much more, uh, or much, you know, li li life was a bit more stable, and uh, and 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 and, and um, you had a, tended to have a job for life. The church was there, your family were there. You didn't have to worry about mortgages quite so much. But young people today have to deal with a much more dynamic world. So, you know, we still have. The elite performers who push the boundaries, the ultra marathon runners, the people who sail single-handed around the world—they're still there. Those, those, those outliers—they um, still exist. Um, but in between them, um, in between them, you have um, the rest of us who, who who don't perform at the extremes, but have to manage a much more uh, uncertain future. Young people today have to juggle so much more than yet perhaps young people did in 1917. So Joe's argument is that uh, young people are really just as resilient as they were uh, many years ago, but actually life is, 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 is very different. Uh, how human beings perform in extreme and remote 
locations and situations is one of the one of the three science projects that we're doing on this journey the other two being um, looking at lithic artifacts for evidence of people having occupied what is the biggest desert on earth thousands of years ago it was very different it was green and people lived here in, in much larger numbers and the evidence for that lies under our feet in terms of um, of, of stone age artifacts like arrowheads and scrapers that would have been used for hunting the second project we're doing is uh, is for a team at Kaust. We have a camera trap that we put out every night with a tin of tuna to see what mammals might come and eat in front of the trap, and the trap will take a picture of the mammal. But we all, and we also have a bat recorder that we try and use to capture any any calls of bats. But uh, how human beings perform in um, extreme locations is is of is of real interest to me, and and. I'm going to shift from a desert of sand briefly to uh, a desert of ice because the definition of a desert, of course, is a place that has less than 250 millimetres of rainfall a year and the high Arctic, therefore, falls very much into that category. And uh, again, on the theme of following old explorers, back in the 90s, I I, um, led an expedition to an uninhabited island off the north coast of Canada called Melville Island. It was named after the Lord of the Admiralty, Viscount Melville. And it was named that by a a, a young man called William Edward Parry, who was born in Bath in England. And and Parry, at the the age of 20, in his 20s, was given command of two ships, the Heckler and the Griper. And they set sail with three years' worth of of, of coal uh, and, and food, uh, because they were so uncertain as to whether they would come back, how long the journey would take. Many of the signing on forms that I found in the library in Bath were signed with a simple cross because uh, many of the sailors were illiterate at the time. But what I, I've, I've got Parry's journal of that diary of 1820 on my bookshelf in Muscat, Oman. It cost me about £400 about 30 years ago. And it's a beautifully written chronicle of their journey to try and become the first people to find a way through the Northwest Passage. And many people laughed at Parry because when he set sail from London, one of the last things that he loaded onto his boat was a barrel organ and a printing press. And people thought, well, what on earth are you loading a barrel organ and a printing press on a boat setting sail to the Arctic for? But Parry was given command for a reason. He was a smart man. He knew that if they got into difficulty, success or failure would be lost in the minds of his men, not in the muscle of his men. And he knew that routine uh, would be absolutely essential and that idle minds were a recipe for disaster. Sure enough, um, Parry's worst fears came true. They nearly sailed through the Northwest Passage. They nearly became the first people to do so, but they were running out of time and the sea was starting to freeze around them. So they backtracked to a little inlet that they named Winter Harbour because they were the boats were frozen in there for the four months of total darkness. And that was the period that worried Parry the most. Uh, but then that's where the routine came in and that's where his leadership and his forward thinking really shone. Because routine being important, the men were woken up at 6am 6, 6 every morning, didn't matter whether it was dark or light, uh, over the side of the boat onto the sea ice, physical activity to warm up and get the blood pumping, lining up on the deck, the ship's surgeon would go along the mouths and inspect your gums for scurvy, 
then you'd go down below before things warmed up you'd shake the ice off your hammock and brush it over the side so you never had any water freezing on the boat um, but they produced every month a theatrical production on the boat everyone had a part everyone had to learn their lines um, everyone um, was involved and everyone was focused it occupied minds they also produced via the printing press the most northerly newspaper in the world the North Georgia Gazette um, two or three sheets of uh, two or three sheets of paper that um, now you can pay several thousand pounds for if you go on to a, a second-hand bookshop on, uh, on on Google so there's much to be learned I think about leadership by looking back whether it's um, Philby whether it's Shackleton or whether it's Parry. <laughs>